James, we're we're back for episode three. We're back, and we're back in the office, which is nice. Um, I've been coming back and forth every now and then, but Seamus, you haven't been here in a while. I haven't been here in about a month, man. Um, this is day two back in the office, um, and you know, surprise—not surprisingly, actually—it it feels it's a finally a bit of normalcy for me because you know, doing co-parenting with Kara, baby half day, work half day. It's a lot. It's taxing, and you know your production is fifty percent. So this last week, Kara and I were like, "Hey, look, let's let's go hit up the the office. Everybody's at home. Let's try to bring our production level back up." And it's kind of brought a lot of clarity back to my my uh, my work. So you've been able to work here without any distractions. That's right. From home as well as from us at work, which That's right. is its own distraction. James, I wanted you to tell tell everybody, you know, when the pandemic kind of started unfolding and we had a lot of these um, stay-at-home orders, right, the, the necessity for the PPE kind of came our way. And, you know, how, how, tell everybody how that kind of unfolded within the office. Well, I mean, from the moment the schools started closing in New Orleans and then, you know, the mayor was coming on giving us all these cautionary uh, advice and then the restaurants close and then, you know, be under 250 people, be under 50 people, be under 10 people. Um, you know, Cicada, of course, was doing everything we could to to heed those precautions. But we we're also trying to be active and proactive about how we could help others. Um, there's a small network here of people who um, knew know that we do 3D printing. And they reached out to us immediately as well as we were looking for them to actually 3D print um, an equivalent to the N95 filter masks. So we've actually printed quite a few. Um, and from what I understand, uh, we were printing them, handing them off, and those people were interacting with the, the those in the medical industry, um, which we don't have a necessarily direct line to for the masks, but we were just making, 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 and hoping that it would be beneficial in some way. Um, as it turns out, the complexity, of course, you know, we are not in the medical field. Right. Um, the complexity of these things, it's not as seamless. Like, you know, they're not going to just let any Joe Schmo off the street drop off a bunch of masks right. and give it to doctors who are working on these people. Um, so I think we were a little ambitious in that front. But essentially, we were creating these masks, and um, from the test, apparently they were working, but... Um, there's a sanitation point that a lot of medical equipment goes through, especially things that are like inherently made of plastic. So these masks that we were creating, um, were, you were giving the, the burden back to the medical industry, the people on the field having to sanitize these things. Um, which is why there's risk. There's risks. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you can't blame them. I mean, there's protocols. You can't just take anything, you know, it's, it's good to know that, the people who are in charge of these things, like the doctors and the nurses and all of those in in the uh, emergency medical field right now, are being cautious about um, third party or non-medical right. supplies people. Right. I mean, imagine if someone wanted to do something um, that was, you know, not in the best interest of the hospital. There's no filter process for these types of things, but I'm glad that uh, we know that there is some barrier to stop people just dropping off a box of masks yeah, yeah, yeah. and then throwing it on these doctors' faces Agreed. and assuming that they work. In a way, we're like we're test subjects as small businesses. Right. Like, hey, you you do you're an architect. All right, now you can be a a, a you know a face an N ninety five face mask manufacturer. No one knows how to do that three weeks ago. Right. So it's like it's those lessons learned to me that hopefully moving forward there is some sort of blueprint in which we can all help provide. The way this pandemic is affecting us is affecting everyone, which for our next interviewee, Augusta Sagnelli. That's right. Um, we we had the opportunity to interview her right in the middle of this. Yeah, so this this particular episode to me is very, it's unique because James and I, when we're laying out season two of The Swarm, we're talking about who we're going to interview, how we're going to lay it out, how it's going to happen, and it's this well-oiled machine, yet <laughs> clearly COVID drops in in a specific spot. But the intent really was to interview AKA and you know Augusta, Kara, and Ashley Arsenault and to lay them out and then to then do all of them together. 
And the beauty is, is how it's kind of falling out is that you have Kara who is interviewed first pre-COVID. Right. You also have Ashley who's interviewed pre-COVID. However, we our did intro, the intro is post-COVID or right. during COVID. And now we have Augusta who you're about to listen to who is actually feeling the effects of um, her business is feeling the effects of the, the pandemic. And so we get to see how it's affecting not only her, her business, and also her creativity. Is it helping? Is it hurting? Right. And I think these things are all real. You know, like we can all relate to the the pandemic. It's it's interesting, you know, as Southerners, we, we deal with hurricanes all the time and it's like only we kind of understand it and it's like you can kind of go out of the bubble and 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 operate but right we're, we're used to shifting our gears but right. never but this, shifting the gears and you can't go anywhere you, you can't, can't do anything it's, yeah. it's it's actually affecting everyone simultaneously both large businesses small businesses small families large families um it doesn't it doesn't matter the race the age yeah social status there's social status it's it's, it's a virus with with all that being said, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we have Augusta Sagnelli. You will enjoy the episode. Fantastic photographer. She currently shoots for all of our projects. Um, local photographer here in New Orleans, but also around the U.S. Um, interesting story. She was in Paris literally during the outbreak and actually made it just back in time to get to New Orleans. So I think you'll enjoy her story. Here it is. Hi, everyone. I'm James. And I am Seamus. And you are listening to The Swarm, a podcast about architecture and design. We're two architects at the firm Cicada here in New Orleans. The Swarm is an outlet that brings the world of architecture to the people. Our goal is to educate our listeners about design and construction by interviewing locals who are making an impact on their community. Augusta. Hello. Thanks so much for, uh, for meeting us here in such strange times. It gave me something to do. <laughs> I, I'm sorry I'm late. I had I forgot how to leave my house. Um, <laughs> but we appreciate you being here. I, eight, six to eight feet apart right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some instances, maybe this is 10. I don't know. Yeah, we're in like a triangle in our conference room, separated mm-hmm. only by distance. That's correct. But but we have little sleeves over our microphones that we we're going to throw away. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. We've Cloroxed all of the, the doorknobs. Everyone has Purell'd. Purell'd before and after mm-hmm. touching the door. And I actually cleaned the door before Augusta and James even entered, so... Thank you. You're welcome. It's so kind. I feel very safe. We're also talking in a conference room that hasn't been occupied for nearly three weeks. No, yeah. I think we're good. We're, we're yeah. under the 10-person limit. We're staying away. We're washing our hands. We're doing all the things. Yet we're, everyone, we're things. everybody looks nice today. Y'all, aren't, y'all don't have that COVID outfit on. Really? Thanks. I, I took a shower. <laughs> it's been a while. I, I think y'all are good. This no isn't, one's in, This isn't my best, but it's definitely not the worst. You're not in y'all's PJs, so you're doing <laughs> you're doing something right. Augusta has a face mask on. She does. I do. I have my face mask. It's a um, it's kind of like a mid level medical mask. I actually got it in Paris when I was there about a month ago, and I was going to a fashion show, and they had a, a giant table full of masks and hand sanitizer. And I remember at the time being like, that seems alarming Intense. and over the top yeah and, and i think maybe two people grabbed masks you and one other person and, um uh, if, of the people i saw entering damn. yeah and I, I grabbed a couple i didn't i will admit i didn't put it on but i i stuffed them in my pocket because i was like i have well, a feeling yeah. these are going to come in handy You're at, fashion at some week. point you take whatever you can right i mean if there's <laughs> a handout there's a handout well i gotta be on you know this is an interesting thing because the mask thing if you're early on adopting the mask, it's almost like it's weird because no one else is doing it. So you look kind of like, I don't know. It's like, no, oh my God, that person's it, got a mask on. It's alarming, I think, for like American culture to see people with, with a mask yeah. on it because yeah. it looks like you're, it's like you're clearly not a doctor because you're not in your scrubs, right? which means you're probably sick. Yeah. yeah. Are you sick? Oh my God. A lot of people, I think, associate it with you wearing it being the sick person. And before it was commonplace. I mean, there's definitely a lot of layers of social norms that we're all kind of like adapting to. It's really right. interesting to see it change. I think it changes every single day, right. just depending on what celebrity decides to talk about themselves wearing a mask or not. Oh. Honestly, it makes like other people just feel more comfortable doing it and not feel like out of place. But I've even experienced it with, I went um, with my brother, he was helping me move some stuff into my new apartment and 
we went to walk the dog and we both had our bandanas and he was like, oh, I feel so weird having this on. And I'm like, isn't that so strange? Because so like, literally the CDC is like, just wear a mask yeah. and gloves. Protect yourself. And protect yourself and, and protect everyone else. And you'd think, you know, even with like a, a major... I don't know, but, establishment but, saying it that people would do it, but it still feels weird because it's just suddenly so different from our normal. I, I, I feel, saw a ton of people wearing them today. Right. Walking oh. the dog, they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. I was going to say it feels, it still feels weird. However, I think it's less weird now than it was two weeks ago. 100%. You know, like even five days ago, I feel a lot more comfortable. Like if I were to go put, put a mask on right now to go to the grocery store, I wouldn't feel weird at all. Right, you know, it's like, wait, I'm actually doing the right thing. Whereas two weeks ago, I'd have been, I would have felt a little bit like an outcast and like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm really not sick, guys. I'm just <laughs> kind of trying to do the right thing, you know. Well, Augusta, thank you for being here. Yep. We're gonna, I think we should, we're going to circle back to Paris. We're going to circle back to COVID. Yep. But yeah, we want to talk about you and your business first. Okay, let's do it. Um, I'm a photographer. A um, very talented photographer. You thank are. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Um, I have been in New Orleans for five years. I've had my business officially for three and I was freelancing before that and doing, you know, photography for, you know, a, an array of different clients and people anywhere from um, holiday family photos to product to fashion. I could, I was kind of taking whatever I could get. So you were doing photography before you moved to New Orleans? Yes. Before I moved to New Orleans, I was working um, freelance kind of odds and ends jobs. And then um, I was uh, working at Milk Studios, which is one of the biggest kind of um, photography houses, photography studios in New York City. Cool. And so I was there for a while Milk. in their, their equipment department, Milk. Yeah, All I learned right. a lot there. And I assisted for a lot of really cool photographers. Um, Nathaniel Goldberg, I was on his team for a minute. Um, so I met a lot of really cool people and I learned a lot. But I also learned quickly that I really wanted to be the photographer and not the assistant. Mm. I was seeing a lot of limitations in that and kind of meeting a lot of people that were assistants for eight to 10 years. And, you know, I felt like I I had a very technical education. Um, So my uh, background, you know, was all about photography and lighting. Um, It wasn't so much an art school. It was more like a technical trade school. Mm. And so I had all this knowledge. And then I had this year in New York where I was kind of taking in all of the industry. And I just really was eager to hit the ground running. Yeah. And so moving to New Orleans was a great move because I was able to be in a less saturated market and kind of pave my own way. And, um, you know, the industry was here for me to be the, the actual photographer shooting stuff instead of, you know, being someone who is, you know, being dwarfed by people with 25 years of experience right. and clients. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're you more know. you're more big fish small pond here yeah. as opposed to in New York. You're one of many yeah, small fish in a huge <laughs> pond, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it, it was, and it really helped me kind of, um, jumpstart my career. And I've been lucky enough to meet people here and, you know, the world is small and I met people that I now shoot for in New York, but only because they came here for a trunk show. And now, mm. you know, two years later, I'm still their photographer every time I go back to New York city. So it's been, um, you know, New Orleans has definitely opened a lot of doors that I don't think I would have ever stumbled upon in, in a larger city. Augusta, who was one of your, your first gigs after coming down and kind of taking that big leap? How did you Boy. how did you break into the scene? How did you yeah. even get that first commission? How, how do you how do you start working anywhere where you yeah. don't and especially with photography where you don't know anyone? Social media and Instagram is like a invaluable tool for me. Um, I know that over the years, it's you know changed a lot, and it's become this huge social platform. But in the beginning, it was a huge asset to me to find um, hair, makeup, stylists, mm. models, and so I would see a model on Instagram. You know, I'd look up a hashtag, New Orleans model, and be like, oh wow, I love the, the hair and makeup in this, and I'd see who's tagged, and I'd find hair and makeup person, and then we would do an editorial together, mm, and then they would say, oh, you know, my friend, you know, has a scarf line, and we need to do some e-commerce, and then um, kind of my biggest client that I've had for the longest time, um, and they're amazing, is just down the street from you guys, is Sunday Shop, mm-hmm. and Sunday Shop, um, I connected with them because one of their employees, Joe Grimion, she was creative directing a photo shoot for a handbag company and she kind of knew me through the grapevine she's and it was instagram and she reached out and was like hey i love your work let's do a shoot for this catalog 
We do the shoot for the catalog for the handbag company. Fast forward maybe eight months to a year later, she's calling me, hey, remember we did that shoot together? Well, Sunday Shop's opening. We're looking for a photographer. We'd love for you to be our person. And I've been their you know, exclusive, basically, photographer for since they've opened. I think it's been over three years. Really? That's very cool. That's, to me, that gives a lot of confidence out there to anybody who may have been in your shoes you know, what, six, seven years ago? I don't yeah. know, I forget how long ago I'm a, was I'll, it. You... I'll be going on six years yeah. at the end of this year. I think the biggest thing for me was just like, you just have to ask. And the worst thing yep. that can happen is you don't hear back from people. Right, right. Um, but New Orleans, I think in particular, there's just a mentality of collaboration and everyone's very accessible here because everything is kind of locally owned locally run so like you can even reach out to like a large music venue and the owner you know he lives four blocks away from you right or you know he goes to the same bar you go to every weekend so there's a lot of um kind of openness to people here you can reach them people feel like they're accessible and that they're tangible and that they're not so you know high and mighty that you can never get on their you know inbox right the the ego i think is 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 more dull here in new orleans people are open to chatting really about anything no matter who you are or where you're from, which makes it nice for people trying to break in, or if you're trying to, you know, research for information or something like yeah. that. Especially we've, I think we've experienced that with architecture as well. Even just our peers, it's it doesn't feel as competitive. It's more like we're all working together to try and just make something interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, the the Instagram portion and how you were able to meet people and network and whatnot is actually how you and my wife Kara had mm-hmm. met. Um, through a mutual friend, but also she was like kind of like uh, in love with your work. And then we had met, they had met actually at a mutual friend's house. And then Kara was like, oh my God, I'm like, I follow you. Like, and then all of a sudden you guys ended up doing basically a, a free shoot, right? Yeah, we just did like a, we wanted to know what it would be like to work together. And so a great right. way for photographers and other creatives to do that is just to do like a collaborative photo yeah. shoot where you can, um, kind of make a concept come to life and then you can see how do you work together, right, you know, right. concepting something versus being on set are total, two totally different things. And, um, I loved her work and she was doing a lot of styling and creative direction. And, um, and so I had this concept that I'd wanted to do, where it was like a styled accessories photo shoot. So we did bags and jewelry and shoes with, um, a bunch of fresh florals. So Kara styled all the flowers and we had the flowers bursting from the accessories. It was really cool. That is cool. And, um, and we had a great model and hair and makeup and, you know, it was very, um, grassroots. I think we like borrowed a friend of a friend's studio at the time we didn't have anywhere to, to do it. And, um, and we, we just jived and we worked together really well. And, and I think after that we were just like, all right, well, let's just do this again. And then Kara was getting more and more clients that were going to have, photographic needs down the road so she was like you know I've got this gym opening up and so you know I got on the docket for that and then it just kind of snowballed after that I think once it was something that she was able to offer her clients um, to say I have a photographer I can vouch for her work you're going to get this you know degree of quality um, and we work well together you know that way every time that she's planning a photo shoot for clients she doesn't have to come up with how does this photographer work? What's their workflow mm. like? We just kind of can anticipate each other's moves, which is, you know, helps any project move and along. And y- y'all ended up moving into your first studio together. Yes, we did. We um, we moved into a small garage space, which we made very cute. Probably. Which Seamus painted, The cutest right? garage. I did, I did paint that in the matter of like 30 yes. minutes with a spray gun. <laughs> yeah, it was a man on a mission for I sure. I was. But um, yeah, we moved in and it was um, just behind um, the retail store Pilot and Powell. That's right. Who was also a client of mine. So mm. I was doing photography for them and then they had this space become available. And I was like, this is perfect for us. Just let's get off of our living room sofas. You know, we we're, we're want to take it to the next level. So we, we don't want to work from home anymore. And um, we moved into the garage and just by chance across the way in the courtyard was Ashley Arsenault, yep. who is small chalk. And we, the three of us became fast friends. She was always over in our studio. We were over in hers asking, you know, advice. What do you think about this? How does this quote sound? You know, should this be more red or more pink or, you know, it should be bigger or smaller. So we were all, all giving each other design advice. And, um, then a year later, you got a year later, we, of course we threw our 
legendary <laughs> holiday party. Love it, legendary. Um, which yeah. it is. Yeah, the, so our good even tidings. just the invitations are yeah. legendary. They are. Well, that was like um, our first collaboration, the three of us. So we kind of we did a photo shoot for the invitation. Uh, Kara and Ashley worked on the design for the invitation. We also made merch, of course. So we had T-shirts, koozies, cups. My favorite. Um, my favorite shirt. Yeah, they're great. And then we also had um, Ashley do like beautiful hand painted um, addresses on the envelope. So everything was, it was, we kind of wanted to show everyone what it looked like when the three of us kind of got together and did yep. our thing yep. to the fullest extent. <clears throat> and then we threw a great party and, you know, it was, it was legendary. Yeah. And what's then, there not uh, to like there, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a, <laughs> and again, you know, a like, name and everything. And, and, and again, in, in a lot of ways, that was your test run, right? Like, yeah. it's like, hey, do we do we work well together? Yeah. Should we get a space together? Yeah. Friends yeah. by proximity, I think, is always a good thing. I mean, that's how I met Seamus. He was... We're, we're, Wait, no, 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 you, you plug, where did, how did we meet? Well, if you were, so at our previous jobs, I'll make this one quick. Um, we actually needed 3D printing. And oh, so, right. and, and I'd, I'd showed up to your home at that time. You were still in Metairie. Y'all were either renting or at I a I was in my brother's house. Brother's house. He was right. in New Jersey. And y'all had just gotten back from China, I think. And I was like, yes. Which and I, was I like, will definitely bring up, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah. And I was like, dude, um, first of all, Good job on the 3D printing. This is awesome. But you need to come work for us. And then that was kind of it. Seamus just roping me into stuff. Yeah. Well, immediately, <laughs> well, look, we had met. Clearly, you're very uh, easy easy to talk to, very intelligent human being. And no um, and I was like, well, yeah, we need this guy. Yeah. Well, when you see talent, I think. And yeah. you, if, if you see someone's talent and potential and then you also get along with them, I mean, that's like a match made in heaven. So I think that's what the three of us saw in each other. And I remember cleaning up the holiday party and I kind of looked at them and I was like, we should get a space. Yes. Like the three of us. <laughs> We'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsors. If you like beer, we suggest you drop into Brew Carré in the Marigny, located at 2115 Decatur. It's a laissez-faire atmosphere with craft brews on tap. And James, if you like tacos like I do, do yourself a favor and drop into Barracuda, located at 3984 Chapatula Street. For a taco and margaritas on tap. You know, we're always in each other's spaces anyway. And, you know, the, the ceilings were only so high. And I needed to be able to raise my lights, you know, more than I was able to right, in photo right. shoots. And, you know, Ashley needed this and Kara needed that. And, you know, we were like, well, you know, and then the, the babies were coming. You know, they were both pregnant at the same time. And, you know, we thought we want a space where, like, the, it's kind of more kid-friendly or it's a little more this or a little more that. So... We started looking, and lo and behold, the space above Cicada yeah, no becomes kidding. available, yeah. and we move in lickety split in the beginning of, gosh, last. Well, year? I think it was a year and a half ago. A year and a half. Yeah, it was a little say, over a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. First off, y'all's space is beautiful, and y'all have done a lot of work to make it even better. But I remember our office. It it was uh, it's a little you know it was an office. <laughs> it was it, okay. It was okay. And then when we went upstairs to see where y'all were moving into, we were like. Damn, yeah. this is so yeah. much nicer. You guys are oh, no, definitely man. jealous. <laughs> well, Paulo, Paulo actually made the recommendation, um, and he had he had known that the previous studio was moving out, and at that time, you guys were actively looking, and I was like, man, let's let's reach out to to Karen Augusta and Ashley um, to see if this would actually fit their space. Interestingly enough, you guys are very unique in a sense that the space needs to meet a lot of different needs. Yes, it needs to be able to transform in a sense to like create your own um, environment so you can shoot your mm -hmm. talent. Um, it needs to uh, have enough storage for Ashley to keep all of her painting material. Mm -hmm. um, Kara, I think can probably, she can probably work anywhere, but she needs a lot of, she loves natural light. So it's mm -hmm. like, and, and you work off of natural light. So it's like, you know, you got to kind of fit the bill of three different, very uh, industries that work together, but need different needs, you know? Yeah. And I think it really met that. And the price point was great. And yeah, it was available, you know? Yeah, the location was amazing. Um, I love, I mean, the fact that there's a northeast-facing window on the second floor, it, like, mm -hmm. doesn't get better than that yeah. for me. Um, and we have these three just beautiful windows that make these really unique catch lights in the eye that is, it's super unique. I mean, when I do portraits of people, it's, I love to be able to kind of look at the light, and I'm sure I'm one of the only people that can really see it, but it, to me, it looks very um, just 
specific and unique to this the lighting in that space. I want to get back to AKA in a little bit and what y'all are working on. I want to get back. I want to circle back around to your work. Currently. We're going to do a lot of circling in this. Yeah, episode. we're going to do a lot of circling. <laughs> <laughs> but your eye is so impressive. We've worked with you a couple of times or several times now on a lot of our interior projects. Or well, and you did our office photos for, for, that's right. for mm-hmm. us as subjects and that's you right. made us look like rock stars. Well, it's <laughs> interesting. It's like, you know, we're seeing one thing, um, um, away from the lens, clearly you're behind the lens and it's like all of a sudden you send these photographs and it's like, wow, that's yeah. so good. Um, but I want to, I want to get to like what you like to shoot, um, what you're currently shooting. Yeah. Um, what makes you happy as a photographer? I love making graphic striking photographs of people and people in places. I like, I've always been drawn to photographing quote unquote real people. To me, what that really means is everyone I shoot obviously is a real person, whether they're a professional (laughs) paid model or not. Um, But I really enjoy just making photos of people's faces and bodies, and especially if someone wants to collaborate with me. Um, So if they're a willing subject versus a, you know, someone maybe being forced into the situation. Um, I love when my subjects are just kind of um, open to trusting me and letting me say, you know, tilt your head this way and close one eye trust me like I see it before we even take the photo and it's gonna look awesome cool and when people do that with me that is to me like when I'm making my best work is when I can get my my subjects to trust me um and that honestly can go anywhere from being like a high fashion photo with a model in full hair and makeup and designer clothing and it can also go to you know someone's kid that I'm photographing, you right, know, and if right. I can kind of make that connection with the person and capture a moment that you wouldn't normally see, that is what I love to do. I mean, aesthetically, the type of photography I am drawn to is usually like editorial fashion. Um, photographers that I really admire, like Paolo Reversi, um, Tim Walker, people that make these very like fantastical, gorgeous images. I think what I really am attracted to is that they make these images that you couldn't just see that moment on the street. You know, they really create these elaborate um, kind of fantasy worlds with their photography. And that's kind of what got me into photography was like, wow, you can just make this kind of gorgeous fantasy into a reality and it becomes this tangible thing. I'm I'm curious about how uh, the technical side of the photography, your Mm -hmm. gear, your tools, you talked that you were an assistant. Mm -hmm. How much of that do you rely on and and i know there's some post-processing in this where there's some touching up here or there mm-hmm. I, I mean i know everyone says putting the, the best, sauce on it right well the best you know the best uh camera to have is the one that's in your hand yes right? absolutely so yeah just can you yeah. talk about how well you, i think you... i'm i might have mentioned i'm not sure but my since my school was very technical um technically oriented um i do have like a lot I have a background where I can't, I'm very adaptable in most situations when it comes to the photography aspect of it. So if someone asks me to photograph a beer can or if someone asks me to photograph um, a house or a family or a car or whatever it is, I am pretty confident to say that I can figure out the proper tool needed to do the job, mm, um, even if it's something I haven't done before. Um, because my best teacher in college, Paul Meyer, always would say, just see the light. If you can see the light and you can walk into a space and really see it and see how it's bouncing off the ceiling and which wall and, and, you know, if you have 16 different color light bulbs in a room, you know, shut them off or you you have to be able to see the light in order to make the photo of whatever you're trying to photograph. It's best. Um, so the tools definitely, um, you know, I'm, I could talk like gear all day with someone who like likes to talk about gear. Yes. Um, you know, and it, it just becomes a lot of like D75 and, you know, X, Y, Z. Yeah. Um, but I think, yes, the camera you have in your hand is definitely always the best one to have. But um, when it when it comes to doing jobs that I don't normally do, which now are jobs I do all the time, such as interiors and architecture. Um, In the beginning, it wasn't something I was necessarily very interested in, but I guess with New Orleans just having such a historical um, preservation program and Mm -hmm. all of the architecture and all of the interior designers down here, it 
was vastly becoming, you know, one of my main sources of, of, of clientele. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. I was, it started with Sunday shop and then I started doing stuff for LKI, Logan Killen interiors. And I was doing interior shots for them. And I think my technical background and kind of being able to know, okay, well, like I don't use wide angle lenses very often because they're not flattering for people, but mm. that's the tool that I'm going to need to shoot this, right. you know, small right. entryway. So like I the was subject is the building no longer just a person. Yeah, exactly. It's, so. fasc- it's fascinating that that clearly wasn't your that's a not your passion necessarily. But, you know, it's something that you've kind of come into as, a, as you, your profession um, and to make income. Right. Mm-hmm. But like when you look at these interior photographs, though, they are so beautiful. They're Thank very you. delicate. They work well with the lighting. The detail within the shot is amazing. Um, right. They're very warm. They're very and warm, inviting. Yeah, it, yeah. it feels like. It feels like they're people are there, even mm. though it's like oh, that's interesting. No yeah. one's in the photo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how to also think, describe. That's that. a good point. I think when you have care for your craft and what you do, and and someone asks you to do it for them, wh- no matter what it is, whether it's something you're passionate about or not, you're gonna try and do your best. And I think I have learned to love to do interior photography because of these different types of satisfactions I get out of it. You know, like. No, I'm not emoting something from a person, but if I can make an interior designer's work, you know, representative of what they decided to do and I can use my technical knowledge of say, you know, that sofa is a beautiful emerald green and if it photographs, you know, teal and that wasn't the interior designer's choice, you know, they wanted it to be that specific emerald green color. It's my job to make sure that it looks that way. Do you ever go... Uh, into a shoot like very nervous or unsure about what you the client expects or what you're going to do and then have you ever had a shoot where it you were just so unsatisfied with the end product no no i'm just curious (laughs) well i think definitely i always get the jitters before a photo shoot (laughs) even if it's something i've done before um especially if there's like a lot of moving parts so if we've got like multiple people on hair makeup and all that and you know we have concepts and you know Kara makes beautiful mood boards and you're like okay yeah this is what it's going to look like but then you can get there and like all of a sudden it's like a thunderstorm and you know and you have to adapt and I think having the technical background again it just it helps you so much to be able to adapt because you you can if you can get results if you can get repeatable results then you can know how to anticipate when something goes wrong. Okay, I did this last time when the light was too blue and, you know, but when we used this and it made it warmer. So you can kind of um, use that knowledge to kind of, when you're in a sticky situation, you know, you can you can adapt. But I definitely, um, I definitely always get the jitters before a photo shoot. And then the second I start shooting, I am just like, I always say go into this like other realm. I'm like on this autopilot like zone. yeah and then i and then i'm the shoot's over and i put my camera down i'm like what happened <laughs> um <laughs> i blacked out yeah literally I, sometimes i i feel that way especially if it's a really good shoot and it's just <laughs> like you know it's it's i think it's um, a combination of just adrenaline and you know you're in this like super hyper aware and um adaptive kind of mindset that you're just you're just so on and you're looking at everything. You're looking at the folds and the clothes and you're looking at the hair that's poking mm. out weird from the ear and you have to tell everyone to make sure that, you know, they do X, Y, and Z. And so, and then you have to make sure that you're shooting. You look down your camera, oh my God, my, my um, memory card is full. Uh, you need a new one. And so you have to, you know, be, be over to your assistant and, you know, so it's, it's super helpful to have like a great team that's on it to kind of help you keep your head on straight because there's so many different things. And at the end of the day, if any of them go awry, it's on you as a photographer. That's what a lot of the people I worked for and my and my teachers always said. They're like, you know, at the end of the day, you're mm-hmm. the one that owns the photograph. Literally, you, the copyright is yours. Right. So, you know, if if you Man, as the like author of that photograph don't do it justice, it's it's on you. Pressure. Mm-hmm. Man, I feel like this is an entirely like you, we could podcast entirely about just the specific subject, but about your copyright and your photography and mm-hmm. how people misuse you could misuse or do yeah. um it happens the all work. the time it yeah. really comes from not knowing it, it generally it comes from people just not being educated about how it works right. and not from malice um oftentimes people just they want everything you know mm-hmm. you shot mm-hmm. all day and like you shot you know two thousand photos can i get all two thousand photos I'm right. like, trust me you don't want all two thousand you know right. 10 of them are out of focus 20 of them the flash didn't fire 30 of them the person's eyes are closed 40 of them we decided you know seamus looks fat yeah, <laughs> yeah whatever it might be so um 
Yeah, so that's it. You're always trying to educate your clients because the more educated they are about what you do, you know, the better relationship that you can have. And well, there's that though, but then there's also like the use of your photography itself, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, hey, look, I'm I'm hiring you for such and such, and I'm going to use that material for advertising in some specific capacity or my portfolio. And then all of a sudden it's on a billboard. Oh, like where they put it. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. that, yeah. What's the, yeah, that I mean, can this happen is all like the, the whole time. business side oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Of, it's the, of the art. Yeah. It's a massive part of, of the whole thing. It definitely gets into that more commercial end of work. Um, where, you know, everyone's like, oh, we made this beautiful thing and we all love it so much. And so thank you for that. We're going to take it and put it on our hard drive. And then two months from now, we're going to be like, I love that photo. Let's go put it on the side of a bus. But Mm. like we didn't pay for it to be on the side of a bus. So again, it comes from Uh education for sure. Just generally speaking, people aren't like, oh, let's see if she you know, doesn't notice it on the side of the right, bus. Is right. it? But I think it, you know, then you just say, hey, I love so much that you love the photo. You know, this is the, um, here's the invoice for the usage for that. You know, right. this, if you need to brush up on our contract, um, you know, where we had the terms for web use, here it is. And then people generally are like, oh, oh, sorry. And then, you know, they're happy to, they're happy to pay for it. Well, how did, how did you get educated on like the, the, the business side of invoicing and, teaching your clients these things about copyright materials and charging them for tiers of usage. Totally. So two things. My school, again, super technical. It was not like this, you know, artsy kind of like, how do you feel about your photography? It was like, this is how you do the thing. And like, this is how you sell your work. And this is how we do licensing. And so that was important. And then also my dad um, is self-employed and has had his own business, graphic design business, Planet Wide Productions. Shout out to Planet, Planet Wide. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Pops, dude. Yeah. Um, so he, <laughs> I grew up with a self-employed dad who, I mean, I, I grew up hearing things like the checks in the mail and um, <laughs> <laughs> like since I was like eight. We'll so, eat later. We'll eat next week. Yeah, exactly. So um, so that was always very ingrained in me, you know, just like invoicing and following up and, you know, oh, you know, I see that we haven't, it's been almost 30 days. If you can pay today, we'll offer 5% off, you oh. know, whatever you can oh, do to kind enticing. of incentivize people to get your cash flow. Cash flow is king is another thing. Cash, that flow, cash flow is a serious yeah. thing. Cash is king. Cash flow is very well, king. Yeah. We joked about it when starting the business, but it is, yeah, it ju- your unpaid invoices mean nothing. It's, but it's, having unpaid invoices it does make is you feel better good. than having no, no invoices. It does make you feel really good. <laughs> that big number makes you feel really good, but... Like, I mean, at the yeah. end of the day, if, if it's if not the in your account, stays big for too long, you start sweating. You're like, uh, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so that's, I always, I feel very lucky that I had that kind of resource and I kind of always, um, it was almost like being around it as a kid made you think like, that's just how it was. Right. So right. I kind of, I didn't really have to do a lot of like, um, you're a bit lucky mental. In that yeah, yeah. I didn't mentally have to like you know, switch any gears. I just was kind of like, this is how you make money. That's just kind of always how I naturally had that business instinct solely because your pops, Mm -hmm. you know, was running his own biz. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a leg up. I think that's, that's what a lot of, uh, famous or talented people, successful people have been doing these things or have been knowing these things for years and they're brought up in it. And it's just, it's so natural for you to just for this to be the profession that you went into. Yeah. And I I was very lucky for my school as well because I graduated with so many amazingly talented people that have gone on to do great, great things. Um, I think the school kind of bred that because it was such a specific school. So people that went there were very focused and, um, and I stay in touch with them too. So they're an amazing resource to be able to reach out to someone and say, Hey, like, does this, you know, contract sound bogus to you? Or, you know, what do you think about this? Or how are you treating this now that people do it differently? So I think that's an amazing resource too, is just like my fellow peers that I graduated with. Um, and like their industry experience has been, you know, I mean, that's invaluable. Augusta, I have one, one other question or one last question specific to Augusta Sagnelli. Mm-hmm. You shoot yourself a lot. I do. You, you are the subject of your photography mm-hmm. in, in a lot of cases. Can you elaborate a little bit on that and how, sure. that, yeah. um, how that started and, 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 um, and just the dialogue behind it? Yeah. So um, it's actually very common among a lot of artists for years and years and years. I mean, since the beginning of, t- you know, people making art um, to do self-portraits. 
and um, Frida Kahlo is one of my, I mean, she's, you know, even more contemporary, but was, is one of my favorite artists for sure. Very inspired by her exploration of herself as a person and as an artist using herself as the subject. And I think she's quoted saying, I'm the person I know best, so why not use myself as the subject? But, um, a lot of photographers as well. I mean, uh, Vivian Mayer is like one of my favorites and she um, was so prolific and her work actually wasn't discovered until after she died. Um, but she f- photographed herself all the time. And um, I've always been attracted to those photographers' works. And I think because of my intrigue, it inspired me to explore that as an artist. And then also it is so true that as a photographer it's different than just being with your paints and your canvas. You rely on a lot of other people to make these photos. So you have to, you know, the clothes and the model and the hair and the makeup, and you have to get this whole team together. And if someone, you know, gets a flat tire on the way, then it's not going to be what it was going to be if they were there. So doing photographs with yourself, it's like you only have to count on yourself. You know, if you want a certain emotion, you're going to be able to give it you, you know what you can ask of yourself and what to expect. So if there's a, if there's a real vision and there's a real emotion that you're trying to get, you can count on yourself to do it. And so for my final project, um, in college, it was that we had to do a series of a series of five and it had to be of a personal nature. And, um, and I decided I wanted to do these headpieces. I loved making headpieces even before I moved to New Orleans and (laughs) Mardi Gras was a thing. Um, but I loved making headpieces, so I made this series of five headpieces that were all symbolic about my grandmother, who was very, um, very huge part of my childhood and integral part of my, my family dynamic. And so she passed away when I was young. And um, I asked everyone in my family something about her, and they all kind of told me, you know, oh, her favorite flower was this, and her favorite season was that. So I made all these different headpieces. And oh, I was, I the, that. and the, the concept was to photograph someone wearing them. And it was, it was supposed to be from a personal, um, you know, inspiration, but it, it was fashion and beauty in nature because that was the type of photography I was most interested in. And then I was, I was looking for models and, I was just like, well, what if they can't, like, they're not emotionally invested in this project. You know, what if they can't give me what I want? And so I locked myself in my bedroom for like six hours one night and I played the Adele soundtrack on repeat. (laughs) Which which one? Um, 21. 21. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I I listened to that literally on repeat (laughs) and I did my hair and makeup for all five shots, changed it every time, did the, set up the lighting, the beauty dish. Um, I put a backdrop over my bed and I used self timer and I Love photographed it. myself and I was, I was super satisfied with the, the photography. And, um, at the time I would definitely retouch them differently now, but you've, you've <laughs> but, sold um, these portraits. So right? Th- right. this was, this was my first, first series in college. So y'all have not witnessed these. Images. Oh, okay. oh, these aren't, okay. no, we've these seen are, phase two or this three. This was like, um, this was like 18 year old. Got it. Augusta. We're gonna need, we're, we're gonna have to bring these we'll out have of the, to uh, find the archive. Them. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I'll find the archives for you. And then, <laughs> And so I kind of always associated making deeply personal mm. photography with self-portraits. Okay. Um, and then it kind of uh, just iterated over the years. Sunday Shop was doing an art for art's sake show. And they said, Gus, do you want to do some um, photos for us? And we're going to have a bunch of painters and whatever. I said, you know what? I, I'm not satisfied with anything in my portfolio right now to call it art. I was doing a lot of commercial work. Let me make a fresh series. So I did a series of five self-portraits. They were all color stories. So each one had their own color theme and I used fresh flowers and I did this kind of, it felt like a more matured kind of um, iteration on that college. This is the series that James was referencing, I believe. Yeah. The color, the color series. And then, so it was called Botanica Sui, which means the um, botanical self in Latin. And then I think another year and a half passed and Femisance, which is the all-female um, art collaborative show that was being hosted. Um, I wanted to submit work, and so I was like, again, a great excuse to kind of give myself a deadline. And I was originally going to set out and only do one photo, and it was going to be um, kind of a culmination of those five colorful uh, floral portraits. I was going to do kind of as if they were all smushed together in one and do one big photo. And from that, I was doing all these light tests and 
it ended up being a series of five and they were black and white. Black and white, right. And those are actually four of them. One of them sold at Femisance and four of them are on sale right now at Sunday Shop on Very their cool. website. Oh, nice. Very cool. Um, and so, yeah, so I, and you know, I'm sure we're, we're going to circle again back around to COVID, but <laughs> since the quarantine, I've been doing so many self-portraits because I've been living alone and I've been in my apartment during quarantine, which is crazy. <laughs> and so it feels very appropriate to kind of document it and document, you know, yeah. this kind of um, journey of a single person, you know, in the time of quarantine and time of solitude. So you've been doing that. So I've been doing and, and much more kind of documentary style, um, but just moments around my house or moments of me, you know, just I'll set up my tripod and I'll do my timer and, mm. um, you know, even I, I don't know if it'll turn into a body of work, but I think it's definitely I'm, I'm glad to be documenting it because there's no one else around me to do it. I never realized that the background behind the self portraits really was like the initial project because of your grandmother, mm -hmm. which is really cool. Yeah. Um, I want to get to AKA mm -hmm. um, and we've already talked, you know, through the last couple of episodes. I think everybody knows how you guys came together and now where y'all are at. But could you touch base on how your expertise falls within AKA and then what project um, currently that you guys are working yeah. on that you'd like to talk about? Yeah. Um, so in the beginning, it was really me and Kara working together a lot where she would brand um, a new company or, you know, a new uh, fitness gym or, you know, anyone that was opening up a business locally and needed an identity and then photos kind of come naturally, whether they need photos of their team or they need photos of their space or their product. And, um, and so that's how Kara and I work together a lot. And then Ashley and Kara collaborate a lot on the branding and the, um, assets that people need for their brand identity. Um, but recently a really fun project that the three of us all have worked on and kind of the end result kind of has all of our um, hands on it is we did um, photography for the band Sweet Crude and they are launching a new album. Gosh, I think it's out in like a week. Cool. Nice. Um, Love it. A week from this recording. And you guys are, and you guys are currently actively working on those yeah. deliverables as we speak. Yeah, we actually, um, Kara mm -hmm. just transferred the final version over okay. that she was working on yesterday. And I'm putting a few finishing touches and then they'll have them by tomorrow. That's but, great. Um, it's really cool because we, we concepted the photo shoot. Kara and I styled the clothes. You know, we, we came up with all the concepts for posing them together it's a band of six so it's a lot of people to kind of work into one photo and make sure everyone's outfits you know jive and everyone looks great and um how do you get clothes for six people for a photo shoot like where does that come from <laughs> james buy that? and return james buy <laughs> and oh, return. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> industry secret out of the bag got it um yeah and also a lot of really great local it's companies um that we have good working relationships with allow us to pull clothing. So Pilot and Powell, um, you know, they're very generous and a client of mine and they, right. you know, we have a working relationship where, um, you give them a shout out. It's yeah. like, look, you're, you're borrowing their clothes. I mean, whoever's looking at the material doesn't need to know that. But at the end of the day, it's like, look, this is, you know, you give Pilot and Powell a shout out that they provided the clothes right. and then people yeah. go back to them. Interesting. It's yeah. just a whole world that yeah. I just don't. Oh, man, super lucky I'm wearing that. a Lion King shirt I never, right now. I, <laughs> I actually never forget one of Kara's very first shoots she had ever done. She ended up like, um, she borrowed like four G's worth of clothes from Canal Place. And I was, I was ch choked out. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> You're like, get this stuff out of the house. And I was like, you know, if they like, you know. The Swat. dog gets to it. If the dog gets to it, or if it gets stolen, or if like you know the the talent like sweats <laughs> and like has an armpit stain in the clothes, it's like we're on the she's on the hook for that, you know. But wow. um, I should yeah, it's it's an interesting part of the industry for sure. Um, but yeah, the sweet crude was really cool because after we did the whole photo shoot and we're all there and we're you know posing everybody and we're concepting um, how the post production is going to work. Uh, Ashley goes in on the photo after and she's been illustrating all these really cool kind oh, wow. of surreally um, playful uh, illustrations on top of the photo. Uh, everyone cool. in the band wears glasses. So we've been doing these illustrations within the frames and kind of letting them spill out. And the, their whole concept for the album is um, 
the official artificial. I, I won't try to say it in French because I will butcher <laughs> it. But um, it's all about the real and the non-real and the surreal and um, the kind of where those two things meet. So we have, you know, the, the photography, which is very crisp and very realistic. And then we have the playfulness of the color in their clothes. And then we have this surreal element of the illustrations on top of the images. So um, Ashley, you know, she has um, a whole technique that she does in the computer on a tablet with her pen. And then Kara goes in and, um, you know, she'll uh, tweak colors and she'll refine edges and she'll use her like graphic illustrator, um, you know, background to edit it. And then I've got a couple other things to do in Photoshop. And then um, it's cool because all three of us have kind of worked yeah. on the same file and um, what kind of a brought power this tree. That's cool a great, yeah. concept together. So that's been a really fun one that's that a great we project. can't wait to have come if, out. If you want to check out Sweet Crude, by the way, sweetcrudeband.com. Nice. Augusta, I know you had a very interesting story when you came to New Orleans. Can you talk a little bit about (laughs) what was your first uh, couple of months in New Orleans like? You had an an incident. Yes. Um, So I think it was four months after moving here. um, I assisted on a photo shoot. Um, It was at a a house in the Lower Garden District. Um, I asked the assistant who managed the property, um, you know, do you ever need help doing fo- photos of the space or whatever? Oh, we host, you know, um, this party once a year and we do photo- We need photographer. Uh, okay, cool. Let me know if you even need help setting it up. You know, fast forward six, eight months. It's Halloween. I reach out to the assistant and I'm doing um, photography for Jennifer Coolidge at her Halloween event. Very Which cool. Um, amazing. So, Very cool. you know, it's and then it, you also for- just kind of meet special people like that. I think that love New Orleans. They love the city of New Orleans. It kind of already is a bonding ex- like thing in the beginning before you even really know someone. It's like, oh, you have a home here in New Orleans. We already have something in common. Right, it says a you lot know. about that. Augusta, yeah. for, for those out there who don't know Gen- who Jennifer Coolidge is, could you? Yeah, Jennifer Coolidge is an actress. Um, you might know her from roles um, in Legally Blonde and Best in Show. Um, and in addition to being an actress, she is just a lovely, amazing person and she loves spooky things and Halloween. And Mm -hmm. so she honors the holiday every year um, with an event. And so I've been lucky enough to document that for her. Um, And, you know, we've we've grown close over the years and she's, um, you know, a huge support system for me. She's Mm -hmm. a a big cheerleader for me and my work. And um, so when the opportunity arose for um, me to accompany her to Fashion Week this year, um, she was a guest of a fashion brand, um, and she, you know she really was gracious enough to open the experience for me and the opportunity. And so I was able to go for a week, and we documented the fashion show. And it was a really interesting time to be abroad with all of the um, pandemic, kind of it all of this stuff just blooming. Be- beginning, right? Yeah, and it was really it was interesting because I was there, and um, a friend from New Orleans, I saw on her Instagram that she was in Italy. And I was like, oh, I wish I was in Europe long enough to come and visit you in Italy. And she was like, oh, no, you don't. Right. You know, and I was like, oh, what do you mean? She's like, oh, it's like we're not allowed to, allowed to leave our houses. And I was oh, like, wow. wow, well, tell me more about it. And so she was like, oh, no, we're in total lockdown. Da, da, da. She goes, you know, I, I don't even know when I'm going to be able to go back home. And when I go back home, I'm going to have to be quarantined. And I was like, well, quarantined? I was like, what does that mean? I guess, do you remember, <laughs> do you remember um, the weekend that, or the week or weekend, the dates that you were there? I was there from the 24th. Um, I, I left Mardi Gras day. Which was the twenty fourth or twenty fifth of February. Right. So on Fat Tuesday, I boarded a plane at you know six fifty a.m. Probably the only person from New Orleans <laughs> leaving leaving yeah. on Fat on, Tuesday. On that that Tuesday. is true. For a good obviously. Look, look for the record, reason. if you're gonna leave, leave on. You can leave on. Look, a lot. Not of the, the day before. Not the day after. A lot, That's a lot, true. A lot you're of right. the good. A lot of the good parades for for those of you who have not been to Mardi Gras are the weekend before Mardi Gras. Oh, so, but some people would beg to differ. Look, <laughs> I'm going on the record with that. <laughs> so you you spend a week uh, with this celebrity, mm-hmm. living the celebrity life, Paris Fashion Week, and you're hearing whispers of yes. this pandemic. Yes, it's definitely arising and it's definitely becoming more um, apparent. In Paris, it really didn't hit. I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of sick people that didn't know it, but um, 
as far as hitting the news and hitting, you know, people socially, um, everyone was kind of just going about their day, doing their thing. Did you see fashion week signs? was fine. Well, definitely showing up to the fashion show with a folding table full of <laughs> medical masks and hand sanitizer was alarming. Yeah. And it kind of made you scratch your head and go, okay, maybe this is something. It is and a then, nice mask. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, Augusta's mask that she has it's right black. now, it's, it's, very it's pretty, it's pretty it, hip. It looks a little velvety, but... It is, it's... Um, it's, it's very as fashion far week. as masks go. It's quite chic, <laughs> but um, it's not your typical uh, what is it? The N95, the white N95 no. from Home Depot. Are, this are, thing is like very. Are impressive. you photographing yourself in your home doing your documentation of self isolating oh, with, 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 the, with mask? the mask? I have um taken some photos of myself with my like bandana on when I go and walk my dog and stuff like that. Um, definitely like the aftermath of going to the grocery store and all of the, you know, wipes and the everything it's, it's, there's definitely a lot to document and to explore for sure. Have you, I mean, going to the grocery store, Adrian and I went and it's like, you can't not touch everything. Like there's just people everywhere and they've touched those things and it's, it's It's all I can think about is the amount of things that, and I, I look back to on my time in Paris, I'm like, you know, you go out for drinks with people and you're like, okay, we played cards. Everyone touched every single card in that oh, deck wow. of cards. And then you put the cards to your mouth because you're not sure what card am I going to put down. Right. And then you reach your hand into the bowl of peanuts. And then everyone reached their hand into the bowl of peanuts. Oh, and then someone's like, oh, I'm not going to finish my beer. And you're like, I'll finish it. And then you drink from their <laughs> beer bottle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, and it was all so normal. And then normal you're like, I'm gonna go to a month bed, ago. and I'm gonna give you a hug, and I might yeah. give you a kiss on the cheek. Yeah. Were Were you ever concerned while there, or when you came home, were you like, oh man, I I could have this? We were on the plane back, and there was a woman coughing, and we looked at each other, and we're just like, oh my god, how long is this plane ride? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, it was definitely. I was definitely more aware of it on the way back home. Um, I just wanted to get off that plane so bad and take a shower. I'll um, say midweek while you were there, I think, or not midweek, the middle of your the time that you were there, I remember um, Ashley from your studio talks to Kara a good bit. I mean, y'all all talk mm-hmm. all the time, but I'm hearing like the the back end of these things. But I think it was starting to ramp up at that time here. And so the, they oh, were yeah. like, oh my God, well, Augusta's in... Augusta's yeah. in well, we Paris, got back. You know? We got back four days before the official, the official European right. travel ban, right? Um, which is That's bonkers. And honestly, we probably should not have been allowed back. I mean, considering right. like, you know, if, if they really wanted to get serious about it, we probably should not have been allowed to come back yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, before being quarantined. You know, wherever we were, but um, yeah, we made it back to, like just in time. And happy and healthy. Yeah. And healthy, you know, so far so good. Knock on all the things. (laughs) And, um, and yeah, but it's definitely been strange for business because there were a lot of things on the calendar that were canceled. Um, I had clients coming in from North Carolina. I mean, we had hair, makeup models, the whole thing, two day shoot. They had people coming in from their company. Wow. And in the beginning it was very like, well, what do you think? I mean, well, we'll just, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how this plays out. And then it was like two or three days later. I was like, uh, they're locking yeah, no, the we're, city we're, down. Yeah. We're, we're not, this isn't happening. They're closing schools. Yeah. When it wasn't, it, I think it was when the schools closed. It right. wasn't about, do you want to do this? It was like, I don't think we are allowed to do this. Um, and I think that's been the hardest thing for Americans is realizing that like we can't do our plans and we can't go right. about our right. way of our way you know it's like i had a plan like i had i was going to do this thing and now i can't do this thing and it's like well well, you can't do this thing for now because we have to you know get this situation under control so i think it's it was at first a lot of people were like oh i have a nail appointment i have to cancel it well no one's telling me i have to cancel it but i i have to take it upon myself to cancel it and so it was a lot (laughs) of like that you know it's it's really i mean it comes to the existential like notion of the, uh, everybody's everydayness well, you can't believe it's happening well yeah. but it's your everydayness that you never have to ever contemplate and you right. never compromise. not doing it why would you compromise right. your daily routine you the know the fact that it's it's almost like it's it's probably a terrible analogy but like when you when you're going to go walk through a door and 
you're always walking through a door until the door doesn't open or the, the right. lock is broken. It's like mm-hmm. a jolt. It jolts you, exactly. Well, and then and you, so have like, to, you have to think about like, okay, how am I going to get on the other right. side of this wall and if so I can't go through the door? That's literally happened to our entire society and everydayness. And it's like we're, have, we're having to like rethink mm-hmm. how we operate. And it's sometimes, you know, you have a bad day. Maybe you have a death in the family. Maybe something, you know, something's not going your way. And it's just you. This is everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a collective anxiety and fear and anger and like discomfort and uncertainty. And it is so weird. It is the only word for it is super weird. It is surreal. It's completely surreal and bizarre. And I think traveling abroad just before it was, it made it even, I don't know if it made it worse or better as far as like comprehending it. I think maybe it's made it easier to comprehend. Yeah. Meeting people, young people my age going about their life you know they they're musicians they're restaurant owners and they had their plans and you know you say hello and goodbye and you think you get on a plane and and it's like i'll see you next time in paris and then all of a sudden all all everyone's talking about is like the quarantine and now you have this massive kind of thing bringing people together because they're experiencing it our everydayness is that this like new collective everydayness and it's you know, someone has a new idea of how to get through, you know, their Friday on a quarantine. If they're in Spain or they're in Brazil or they're in Paris, you know, talking to them is just as helpful as talking to your neighbor down the street because you're not seeing them in person anyway. In, in, in a way, we're all learning America's, you know, we're built, we're an engine, we're built on speed and uh, efficiencies and whatnot. And go, we're go, all go. literally operating on idle right now. How many cameras do you have? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I own, I own versus use. Um, use? Oh, okay. Like, o- ownership, you know, like what's on her there, shelf? There's first. an archive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I've got like a lot of fun little vintage like brownie cameras and stuff like that and an old Minolta, um, which is functioning, but... Um, we're talking 80 cameras? Or <laughs> 80? I was going to say no, 10. I've got probably functioning cameras, five or six, and then, you know archive kind of fun shelf pieces, maybe like 10 to 12. Yeah. Do you have any film that you've never developed yes. that you're just kind of waiting on? I have four rolls of film right now that are sitting that need to be Tight. developed. They're, they're color, so I need to get them sent out. All right. And then I have this really old roll of medium format um, film that I found in an old uh, camera oh, that I bought. It's like quite old. Um, so it could have ghosts on it. it. It probably does have ghosts on it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've got a couple rolls of film, a few disposable cameras that I definitely at this point have no idea what's on them. So that'll be a fun surprise. That's always a fun surprise. Do you ever pull them one or two off the shelf just for fun for, for a moment? Yeah, they, they make appearances in photographs from time and again. So Adrian and I were in China four years ago in an open air meat market and you know, the la- there's no the, the language barriers. Just you know, it no one knows what anyone's saying. You're pointing at things. Yeah, and people are walking up to Adrian and handing them their babies. What? They think she's a celebrity, oh. and they're taking pictures with her. And we are touching everything. There's a chicken getting its head chopped off to her mm. left. Adrian's oh holding God. two babies on the right. Yeah, but, um, oh. We were there for, uh, my uncle runs the Global Habitat for Humanity, and we were building a home in, in a farm village. It was like in the middle of nowhere, China. It was beautiful. But um, I think that might, like, has the world forever changed because of this? I, I mean. I don't I, know, man. I, we will only know when we come out on the other end yeah. of it. I think there are, I think our generations that are experiencing it now, just as the older generations that went through the Great Depression, like they were changed forever. I remember my great grandmother, she would wash um, paper towels after she used them wow. and then she would hang them up to dry so that she could use them again. So I think definitely things right, like right. that of the, of people going through this, I mean, you will, you'll never touch another doorknob without thinking about put, wanting to put Purell on your hands. You know, right. like right. There, there are definitely going to be things that you're always going to think about um, and that you're going to do differently in your day-to-day life. And we'll probably, by the end of this, it will become second nature to us, Ooh. just as it was for her to, you know, save the pizza crusts for a snack <laughs> for later. Right. You the, know? the one thing that I hope, because I, I truly do believe in 10 years from now, 
um, sans virus and sans the next pandemic because there will be another. But to me, I think it'll more or less go back to normal. However, I hope that we're more prepared the next time. Right. You know, that to me, like, I hope we don't never forget. Right. Like, so it's like when the first case happens. Right. Button up. Wherever it is, it could be in Kenner, Louisiana. Like everybody should. uh, Melinda Gates actually had a really good um, interview today or yesterday. And she was basically like. As globally connected as we are, we weren't globally connected on this virus. And if we w- if we would have been globally connected since day one or date or week one, we wouldn't even be here right now. Right. But like no one no one had communicated. No one was like collectively um, trying to snuff this thing out. And I think if we can learn that one thing, I think you know we'd be in a much better place. Yeah, and and for all things, honestly, like yeah. pandemic or whatever it might be, like yeah, yeah, some. Yeah. Like you know, the global crisis of the environment right now, right. it would be it would be nice to have this be a wake up call to the the greater powers that be that we all kind of are at the mercy of. I mean, we can all vote, but at the end of the day, we need them to you know hear and see like how this has all gone down and how we can make everything better from it. Our our economic and social structure is very frail. And we need to be prepared for these things to not be normal. We need to be flexible. Agreed. That yeah. A united front. Right. There's, the world is forever changing, and we can't get too comfortable with ourselves. But Augusta, mm-hmm. on that note, thank you so <laughs> much for coming in during this excellent. weird time. Thank I hope you. next time uh, we interview you, we can have a hug and say goodbye. But Well, the next time, uh, hopefully we'll have all three of, of AKA in here and we can talk uh, collectively about post-COVID or during COVID or wherever we're at at that time. Yeah, I'd love to. It would be really great to have all three of us in. Yeah. And we could even do, yeah, just maybe when we get back to the studio, whenever we can kind of, you know, all be back in one space. If people want to look you up, what's the best way to find you? Um, my website, AugustaSaganelli.com. Or my Instagram, which has a link to my website and my email and all my contact information. But um, I am pretty active on my social media on Facebook and Instagram. And if you're lucky enough, you can get into her personal Instagram. She'll allow you to follow her (laughs) or slide into her DMs. I don't know. It's very difficult. (laughs) Looking forward to more cones. Thank you. Thank you guys very much. Thanks, Gus. Later. All right, folks. That is going to do it for this week's episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Swarm, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.